Today's scripture reading is from the letter of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie to our, we lie, and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thank you, Leah, for sharing the scripture reading with us today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, hello, everyone. Before I begin, I must say that it has been a privilege being your custodian this past year. And this week, unfortunately, is my last week working at the church. So I'm honored that you have asked me to preach today. I wonder, is this a tradition that the custodian gets to preach their last week? I must have missed Rick Emery's sermon. Rick, is that recorded somewhere? I would love to hear that. Well, in a couple weeks, my family and I will be moving to Black Creek on Vancouver Island, where I'll be the lead pastor of Black Creek United Mennonite Church. We're excited for this opportunity, and you can see behind me the boxes and pictures as we get ready to go. We can't wait to see what God has in store for us and what God has in store for the community in the years ahead. Well, in the spirit of the passage this morning, I have a confession that I need to make this morning. When I was the youth pastor at this church years ago, I confess I judged everyone's parenting styles, and I found you all to be lacking. As a wise single man in my 20s with no kids, it was easy for me to spot all your deficiencies and to secretly judge you from the safety of my office. But now that I'm a father of two young girls, I understand now how difficult it is to be a patient, loving, and understanding parent all the time. That's not even with teenagers. This is just young girls. It's clear that I wasn't qualified to judge you. So I confess And I apologize for my rash judgments against you. I offer this confession to you because, as we have heard already from our passage this morning, God is light. And if I want to be in fellowship with God and in fellowship with you, 
I need to walk in the light. One of John's favorite metaphors in his letters and in his gospel is the contrasting images of light and darkness. These images are also widely used throughout the Bible. And when John says that God is light, or when Jesus describes himself as light, light represents truthfulness, goodness, and authenticity. To walk in the light is to walk in the truth. The truth guides us in the way that we should go. And walking in the truth means walking in goodness. The truth of God's commands shows us what the right thing to do is in our daily lives. And walking in goodness leads us to walk in authenticity, to admit when we are wrong, and to be honest about our current problems and current situation. In John 3, 20 to 21, we read, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their, de their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it, it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. As we heard from Lee's introduction to 1 John last week, John is writing these letters in response to a group of people who are having a negative effect on the church. We don't know exactly who this group is or what they're doing, but we can make some educated guesses from this text. This group appears to have split off from the church, and they're attempting to pull more people away. This group seems to be more concerned with the spiritual aspect of Jesus' being rather than his earthly ministry and what he did on the cross. And that's why John emphasizes so much that he saw Jesus with his eyes and touched Jesus with his hands, and that Jesus' blood purifies us and his sacrifice reconciles us back to God. He is saying this because these opponents are more concerned with spiritual matters than with physical ones. For them, salvation comes through Jesus' incarnation rather than through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And as a result of this, this group doesn't place much importance on addressing our sins or confessing them because in their minds, those things don't affect us spiritually anymore. John describes these people as walking in darkness because they are not walking in truthfulness, goodness, or authenticity. These opponents are claiming that they are without sin or that sin is not something we should worry about. But holding this position makes Jesus out to be a liar because his teaching over and over again is that we should confess our sins and that we should go and sin no more. To walk in the light is to take sin seriously and to make every effort to obey and follow the teachings of Jesus. But this group is not walking in authenticity. They're walking in the darkness, in hypocrisy, secrecy, and denial. Those who walk in darkness don't want to admit their mistakes or when they're wrong. They hide the parts of their lives that they don't want others to know about. Sometimes they even hide those parts of their lives from themselves with denial. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were criticized repeatedly by Jesus for this very thing. They claimed to know the truth, and they insisted that their way of following the law was right, but their legalistic approach crushed the spirit of the law, and it crushed the life that the law was meant to bring to society. They also used the loopholes in the law to benefit themselves and to oppress others. They were hypocrites. They were in denial. And John is saying here that these opponents are like the Pharisees. They claim to have fellowship with God, but are walking in darkness and leading others into darkness because they don't know the truth, they don't practice goodness, and their lives 
are not authentic. This unwillingness to confess only led them further into darkness and away from God. M. Scott Peck, in his book, People of the Lie, sees this as the core of evil in the human heart. He writes, the central defect of the evil is not the sin, but the refusal to acknowledge it. Let me see that one more time. The central defect of the evil is not the sin, but the refusal to acknowledge it. He describes the Pharisees and those who are like them today as the self-righteous who think they are without sin because they are unwilling to suffer the discomfort of significant self-examination. We cannot grow or heal as individuals unless we're rigorously honest about our past mistakes and about our current need for growth and healing. So confession is the first step of becoming a Christian. It's to admit that we have a problem, that we're powerless over sin. It's to admit that we're part of a world that is powerless over sin and that sin has been woven into the fabric of our society and we need help. Confession is also a vital part of our continual spiritual growth to constantly admit to God that we still need his help and that we still want to experience freedom and healing in this life now. So it's shocking that this group would say that we don't need to confess our sins when Jesus repeatedly criticized the Pharisees for their unwillingness to confess. And the one model that Jesus gave us for prayer includes the call to ask God repeatedly to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Confessing our sins is the beginning of our life in Christ, and confessing our sins is an ongoing part of our spiritual growth. For those of us who have practiced confession, whether it's confessing our sins to God or confessing to others the harm that we have caused them, we know how difficult and painful it is to step into that light with our, with our offenses. It's awkward, it's humiliating, it's shameful. But if it's done in a healthy way, the benefits of confession are incredible. In our, in our passage today, we read that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession leads to forgiveness, and forgiveness is to be released from our debts, to be let go from our crimes. Confession leads to freedom. I'm going to be asking you guys in a minute to uh, share any um, examples that you have of times when you've confessed and you've experienced the benefits of confession. And I want to share a little bit of uh, my experience, some of my experiences. Throughout my teen years, I was a horrible brother to my sister, uh, to the point where she totally hated me. I was verbally abusive and at times physically abusive. And she didn't want me in her life at all. And I don't blame her. She wanted nothing to do with me. After high school, I moved out of the house and there was peace again between us because we didn't see each other. But then when I was 22, I moved back home so that I could save money for college. And she was furious that I was back in her world. And it was tense in our house all the time. It got to the point where I needed to finally admit the pain that I'd caused her. And I confessed to her that I was a horrible brother to her. 
She didn't have to forgive me. I didn't know how she would react, but she did forgive me. And that forgiveness led both of us to freedom in our house and in our relationship. Another benefit that we see of confession in this verse is purification. To be purified is to be given a clean slate, to start all over again. What was once stained, what was once blocked, what was once useless, ready to be discarded, is now given a fresh purpose and a new beginning. My relationship with my sister was tarnished. It was broken. It could have been thrown into the garbage. But confession led us to have a new relationship again. And to this day, we're best friends. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't confessed my sin to her. So now I want to uh, open up this gathering for you to share. What benefits of confession have you experienced? Share with us a story of when you confess something to God or confess something to others and share the benefits that were experienced from that action. I know this is a bit of an awkward question because you have to confess all over again what you did. <laughs> Hi, Dan. It's Hi, Janet. Janet. Hi, Janet. Oh, this is embarrassing. I did have a, 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 a recent situation and, and I already feel um, humiliated talking about it. <laughs> um, I lost my temper at a, at a store recently. Um, I was trying to return something and I felt super justified in what I was doing. And um, I was met with um, some store policy that I didn't agree with. Anyway, didn't go well. I lost my temper with not one, not two, but three staff members. And I just sort of strode out of the, uh, the store in anger. And then I realized as soon as I got to my car, oh no, what a mistake, what a terrible Christian I am, what a terrible witness, that was not cool. So the next day I, was, I went online, I was trying to figure out how can I communicate with these staff members? I don't know their names, I don't um, know, the store is super crowded, I don't recall you know, how, who they were. Anyway, so... I humbly uh, penned a letter and, uh, you know, gave the date and the time and the circumstance and um, mailed this letter because uh, uh, just to back up, the customer service line said, we don't answer emails at this time. So I was sort of like, okay, what am I gonna do? So anyway, um, I did mail this letter and I'm hopeful that these individuals will accept my humble apology and I did feel some sense of, okay, at least I admitted this, but it was super, super hard to be humble and to, you know, admit that, okay, even though I felt justified in uh, disagreeing with the store, my behavior was not appropriate. And so anyway, there's my embarrassing story. 
Oh, thank you so much for sharing. That is uh, boy, a great example of what the spirit is doing in your life, in our lives. When we sense we're not walking in the light and we need to step into the light, which is painful, but it's good and it frees us. Um, and I like what you said about writing a letter. Actually, one thing I didn't say, I, my, my sister wouldn't accept a face-to-face -face apology from me. I tried to talk to her and she kept dismissing me and I had to write her an email because I knew then she could read it on her own time and her own terms. And then eventually we would have a face-to-face -face where we could actually talk it through. So sometimes um, it, it, it's, uh, it, you don't have to go the face-to-face -face route right away. You can ease into it. Do what you have to, but thank you for sharing um, your recent experience. That was great. Thank you. Anyone else? I Dan, just... I have I have one. Okay, we'll go with Kathleen. Oh, there's more than two people. Sorry, hey, Kathleen, you can one. go. Um, oh, I just wanted to say that um, years ago I had a client in my counseling practice, and um, I had. I think inadvertently led her to believe something that was not true. And so she got upset with me and I could have defended myself, but I remember taking it to God and he was, he was telling me just, just apologize, you know, which I did. So I apologized and it, it still didn't feel good, but I just, I did it anyway. So years later um, I'm with my parents and they need a caseworker from Richmond General to help look after them. And it turned out it was this client of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So yeah, so I had to deal with her and, uh, and it went really well. Mm. I, I often think, sorry, but I often think God knew that yeah. ahead of time, you know? Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Cause it's so real. We, we think that uh, we can just walk away and these people will be out of our lives, but <laughs> one day they'll be back. That's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Megan? Yeah, I was just going to share um, the experience I had with Freedom Session, actually, and a number mm -hmm. of folks have been a part of Freedom Session through the church. And a, a big part of, of that program is actually the making of amends. Mm -hmm. And... And that struck me as you were talking about confession. Um, it's not so much whether it is received on the other end, especially, and that's uh, big in the freedom session part. It's the process by which you you confess your part in the wrong um, in the wrongdoing. And like you were saying, you weren't sure how your sister was going to receive it. I had a similar experience with my sister as well. You're not sure how the other party is going to receive this this confession or this attempt to make amends, but even just going through the process and and recognizing that that this is what is allowing us freedom. Those who are making the amends, this is what is allowing us to walk in in the light, is is the benefit in and of itself. I think, um, mm -hmm. yeah. So that was just a really influential part of of that program for me. That that making amends bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great that we have programs like that that help us focus and dedicate on getting these things done. Because oftentimes as individuals, we don't want to go there and we just let things slide. But when you are in a group setting like that, where you're forced to consider the people you've hurt and what you need to do, um, that's so, so um, necessary and beneficial for us as Christians. Thanks so much for sharing. 
I have a story, um, if you have time for one yes, more. Yes, Rose, definitely. Um, yeah, when we lived up in Northern British Columbia, I had become good friends with one of the women in the church and then something happened and uh, the friendship broke down for a number of reasons. And um, so it, it was probably a couple of years and I was on my way to worship practice one Sunday morning and I just said, God, if there's an opportunity mm -hmm. to say sorry at some point today, please give me the courage. And so I walk into the church and she says, um, me and my, my husband, me and Rob want to have, wanted to ask you guys if you wanted to come for lunch today, which hadn't happened in years. <laughs> and I was just stunned. I just thought, okay, mm. God, you work fast. <laughs> and uh, so we went there for lunch and lunch was strained because the relationship was strained. And, but before we left, we just sat down and I just told them, told her specifically how sorry I was for what had happened and what my part in it was. And, you know, the relationship was never restored. But the best part of it, the greatest gain for me was um, just seeing how quickly God works when we're, our heart wants what his heart wants. And also how the courage is there because I'm not a very courageous person person and I don't like admitting um, that I'm at fault but it was uh, a really great reminder that um, God God hears and answers really quickly in those situations and gives the courage it was a big building faith building in my faith that was the, the best part of it mm -hmm. the obedience yeah yeah I'm so thankful that you shared uh you're going to the spirit for help rather than just doing it in your own strength. And we can, yeah, as you just explained, we can't, uh, uh, we need the spirits uh, um, leading to make these relationships, uh, these connections happen. So boy, thank you so much for sharing that. I think we got time for one more. If one person is itching to speak. I have something I can, um, speak to yes please this from it's from the opposite perspective it's this just happened to me yesterday and it was a really really good experience uh, a couple of years ago a client of mine said something to me that was made me really really uncomfortable and mm. I didn't say anything to him but I just um, mm. I was never able to actually kind of get over it. it it just bothered me and just yesterday, I called him about another issue. And out of the blue, he said, hey, I want to say something else and before he hung up. And he, um, he said, I don't know if you even remember what happened a couple of years ago, but this happened. And I want to apologize. And he was quite, um, quite specific in his apology. And it was, it was really a beautiful feeling to me because it gave me such a feeling of peace and forgiveness and all the tension was gone that I felt um, between us. And I was, I was like, okay, now I can resume the relationship on a, on a different note and I can forgive him. And it, it felt so good from my perspective. And I was so grateful that he had the courage to do that. Um, because I realized how difficult it must have been. Mm -hmm. And I also realized, wow, this has been eating at him for a couple of years too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I had no idea because I just didn't ever talk about it. So I, I was, it just, it just made my weekend. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for sharing from the opposite side of things. Cause yeah, I mean, for all of us, we've had times when we've been hurt and we just don't want to say anything. And it just, it just stays there in our heads. Um, and if the other person never says anything, if we don't say something, then it just stays there for both of us. And so it takes the courage of the, the one person to finally come forward and say, I've made a mistake here. Even if it's years later, it's so beneficial. And, and like you said, beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Let me go back to uh, my notes here. Confession is how we move from walking in the darkness to walking in the light. It involves us embracing the truth rather, rather than hiding from it. It involves us acknowledging the good that we should have done rather than dismissing the wrong that we did do. And it involves us being honest with our current situation rather than denying that we have a problem. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about, as I was uh, packing for our move to the island, I, I came across this final paper that I'd written for Bible college before I started working at the church back in 2005 as a youth pastor. And this paper was my theological confessions at the time. And I know that some of my theology has definitely changed over the years. That's natural for us as we grow up. But I was surprised to see some of the things that I used to believe. I forgot that I had very strong feelings about divorce and remarriage, for example. I, I was shocked to read that I believed that divorce was only acceptable when one partner was unfaithful or when one partner was an unbeliever. And in my mind, if anyone got divorced for other reasons, I was adamant that they were not allowed to get remarried. I also had really strong feelings about women in leadership at church and in the home. I was certain that women should not be lead pastors and that men were the head of the household, that women had to follow our leads. And it's shocking for me to read these the theological confessions now because I've changed my position so drastically. I now believe that while divorce is serious, I don't hold such a legalistic view of whether divorcees can be remarried. And I also now believe that women should be in leadership in the church and in the home. And not only should they be allowed, it's absolutely necessary for women to be in leadership roles. The church and the family needs women in these leadership roles and they should not be suppressed. This among many other positions, I, I've changed over the years, and I need to confess this morning that I don't definitively know the truth. Back then, I thought I had all the answers, but my mind has changed so much since then that I now need to recognize I can't trust that I know what is absolute truth. Now, that might sound like a negative thing. How can you say that you don't know the truth? You're a pastor with a master's of theology. You, you must know the truth. But I actually think it's a positive thing to admit that, that we don't all know the truth. Because in reality, we're all in the same boat. We may think that we know the truth, but in reality, we might be wrong. The first century Jews thought that they had theology all locked up. They knew all the answers, but then Jesus came and challenged so much of what they believed. 
He showed them that they were misinterpreting the law, and he revealed to them a new perspective on God that they had never considered before. And instead of confessing that they were ignorant of the truth, they doubled down on their understanding of truth, and they rejected Jesus. When Jesus implied that he was the Son of God and one with God, they cried, blasphemy, or as we would say today, heresy. But now we believe that Jesus taught the truth not the Jewish leaders. And we're thankful that the first century Christians admitted that they didn't know the truth and they accepted that maybe what Jesus was saying was right. And the revelations didn't stop there for the early church. They discovered that Gentiles were having similar experiences with the Holy Spirit as them, but the Gentiles were still Gentiles. They were uncircumcised. They weren't following Jewish dietary restrictions. How could the Spirit be given to them? And in Acts 15, the first Christians had to admit that what they had previously thought about Gentiles and the Jewish law was not the truth, and that God was leading them away from their racist perspective on the world. And once again, we're thankful that the early church confessed they didn't know the truth, because if they hadn't, we wouldn't be considered Christians today. The first Christians had to confess they didn't understand the truth, and they had to admit they were blind. They had to confess their understanding of truth was limited, and they still needed the Holy Spirit to guide them in the way that we should go. Last week, Lee talked about the importance of witnesses in our lives and trusting the evidence of those walking in the light. Jesus repeatedly taught that we would know the truth by its fruit. He talked about the Pharisees as they labeled him and criticized him by saying that he is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus responded by saying, wisdom is proved proved right by her deeds. Jesus also emphasized that we would know who Jesus' followers were by their love. The, The early church embraced the Gentiles into faith, which was against their former theology, because they saw the evidence of the Spirit in the Gentiles' lives and they knew that they were Christians by their love. We need to admit that we don't always know the truth, that we don't have a firm grasp on the truth. I want to conclude my sermon with one more story from my grandparents. Almost 100 years ago, my grandparents were a part of South Abbotsford MB Church. My grandpa was in training to become a pastor And both my grandpa and my grandma had a fresh experience and outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives that led them to speak in tongues, to see visions, and to have miraculous encounters of healing. When they went to their church and told them about it, they were not too pleased about it. They condemned my grandparents for accepting this new belief, which they believed was heresy. And uh, eventually, they asked my grandparents to leave the church. In a weird twist of fate, the pastor who asked them to leave was actually my dad's grandpa. So it was my mom's grandparents were kicked out of the church by my dad's grandpa. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so weird how this all comes together. But they were asked to leave. And they ended up uh, becoming a part of a charismatic church and being a part of that charismatic church for the rest of their lives. Something happened many years later, though. South Abbotsford MB Church 
heard about their story in the 2000s. The pastor at the time, Steve Berg, he himself had had experiences of the Holy Spirit that were dramatic and charismatic. And when he found out that his church had kicked out my grandparents for what they had experienced years earlier, he invited them back to the church. He had them share their story in all four of their services. And in each one of the services, he, on behalf of the church, publicly confessed and apologized for kicking them out. I get emotional about this because at the time, for so long, my grandparents were estranged from their family in different ways. They were hurt. They were not taken seriously. And they felt the pain of being kicked out of the church that they loved so much for so long. And this amazing time of grace when the church confessed that they had made a mistake and welcomed them back. What a powerful story for us as a church today. At the time, I understand why they kicked out my grandparents. I actually think that some of their theology was kind of crazy. (laughs) I'll be honest about that. But I can't deny that they had spiritual experiences that were beyond them, that were from God. I can't deny the fruit of their actions showed that they were clearly Christians, that they were not in the wrong. But they were kicked out because of theory, because of mental abstract ideas, because the church had been locked in a theology that wasn't based in real life. It was based on what they'd read in the words, but hadn't experienced in life. They didn't give my grandparents a chance to uh, live out what they were experiencing and test whether or not there was going to be good fruit to come from this new way of life. And because they did get a chance to test it out and they were proven to be living a life that was worthy of Christ, they were accepted back. So my brothers and sisters, we as a church need to admit that we don't always know the truth and that we need to test what is good, what is right with honesty, with patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. We need to treat each other with love and respect. We need to walk alongside each other rather than combat each other. Because that is who we are as a church. One body under Christ. You may be hearing what I'm saying now and thinking, oh, somebody in the church is not following the truth. They need to hear the sermon from Dan. No, doesn't start there. It starts with you. It starts with me. I need to be the first one to say, I confess I might be wrong. I need to hear the other person out. I need to test their theological convictions. Before you can start accusing other people, you need to first say for yourself, I have to admit that I could be wrong here. We're going to move now to time of communion. And as we do, uh, let's uh, consider these words from Psalm 139 
as our prayer. As we come to the table, uh, Paul always asks us to examine our hearts before we come to the table. And so let's uh, pray this prayer together, and then I'll pass it over to the Charleses. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen.